I want you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we're in a series of messages called Rooted and Grounded. And the Apostle Paul writing to believers said in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, I pray that you'll continue in the Lord, being rooted and built up in Him, <clears throat> established in the faith. And there are certain basic things that we never outgrow as Christians. These are the basics that we learn that uh, are comparable to the football player learning how to block and tackle. That these are just the basic things that you never outgrow. They're things that they practice at the peewee level, uh, when they're in high school, when they're in college, and they practice these things when they're in the pros as well. So this morning, what I want to speak to you about is finding and following God's will. And we're going to be looking at a number of verses, but our primary text is going to be in Acts chapter 9. You know, our greatest desire ought to be to know God's will. And our greatest delight is to do God's will. And our greatest danger is to neglect or reject God's will. Nothing is going to be right for us if it's not God's will. Now, there are a lot of misconceptions about God's will, and uh, I can't speak of all of them this morning, but a few of them that I can think of is that one of the misconceptions about God's will is that it's like a roadmap that God will give us. Uh, you know, you're going to be here for three years, and uh, some think that from there God will tell you that five years from now you're going to be living in another place and you're going to be doing an entirely different job. But that's not the way God's will works. Now, admittedly, God, who knows everything, could tell us everything that's going to happen in our lives. <clears throat> because He does have a will for our lives, and He could reveal all of that to us ahead of time, but that is not His way. God doesn't give us a road map. <clears throat> what God gives us is a relationship. And what He wants us to put the emphasis is on our relationship with Him, and as we maintain our relationship with God, God will reveal to us everything that He wants us to do as we go through life with Him and looking to Him. <clears throat> Another misconception is that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy. Uh, you know, you don't want to know God's will because, after all, man, if I follow God's will, I'm going to be absolutely miserable. You know, it's, it's no more Coca-Cola, it's no more ice cream, no more watermelon, it's stale bread from now on. And so a lot of people, you know, they just, they're kind of afraid of God's will. They don't want to know God's will because, man, you know, it's going to make me miserable. But everything we read and know about God tells us something totally different. The Bible tells us God loves us. The Bible assures us that God wants what's best for us. And so because we have a God who loves us and wants what's best for us, Quite honestly, His will is what we'd want for ourselves if we had the good sense to, to know it. There's another misconception about God's will, and that is sometimes people think to themselves, I've missed it. In fact, I'm sure by now I turned my back on God for so long that He's probably just moved on without me. But that's not the way God works. We have a God who is speaking to hearts today and minds today. 
And the message he wants to send to you this morning is it's never too late to do God's will. And so this morning you may find yourself in that position. And I want to assure you that God has a will for every life. And God has a will for every stage of life. And regardless of where you are today, God's got a will for you and he wants to put you back on track if somehow you've gotten off track. There's another misconception, that is that God's will is, you know, for a certain type of person. God has a will and calls pastors. God has a will and calls missionaries. But let me assure you today that God has a will for the plumber. God's got a will for the office assistant. God's got a will for the stay-at-home mom. God's got a will for the retiree. God's got a will for every individual, not just the minister minister and the missionary. There's another misconception we have about God's will, and that's that God hides his will. You know that somehow it's like a heavenly Easter egg hunt, and we've got a God out there who knows everything, knows all the good hiding places, and he says, I bet you won't look there. Finding and following God's will is not a heavenly Easter egg hunt that he puts us on, where we have no possibility of finding it. In fact, everything to the contrary tells us that God wants to reveal His will to us. He wants us to know what He has in store for us. And there's one more reality about that. We we really don't find God's will. God's will finds us as we walk with Him in the Spirit. Now, having said all that, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9 today, and we're going to be reading about a man named Saul. And God told him what he wanted him to do. Now, as we're looking at Saul, what we're going to do is we're going to find out some things about finding and following the will of God. And from Saul's experience with God, we're going to find out for ourselves that there are certain principles pertaining finding and following the will of God. So if you'll follow along with me in Acts chapter 9, what you're going to see in verses 1 and 2 is that uh, Saul is a man who's on his way to the city of Damascus, and he's traveling along a road, and it says to us this in Acts 9 verse 1, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he requested letters from him at the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, now the way is what uh, people who were not believers in Christ, those who were Jew of the Jewish faith at that time, referred to them simply as people of the way. That's the way they referred to Christians. He says, Uh, If he found any who belonged to the way, that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here we have uh, Saul of Tarsus, and he is a persecutor of the church. And uh, the Jewish officials had given him permission to go and to find people who were professing faith in Christ because they considered them to be blasphemers since Jesus had said, I am the Son of God. And so the Jews found that to be blasphemy, and so they were sending people out. Saul was one of their emissaries. And he was going out and he was arresting Christians. 
And he was bringing them back to Jerusalem as prisoners, and they were either being put in prison, or some were being put to death. Now let's read on in verses 3 through 6 and see what it says there. Now as he traveled and he was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand. And they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the way that you have worked in my life. No one any greater than myself probably had their own plans and own ideas about what they would do with their life. And Lord, you gave me uh, just enough rope and time to figure out that everything that I had planned, everything I wanted to do uh, was so much less than what you wanted to do with my life. Thank you that you have a plan for all of us. And that you want us to know that plan, you want us to know your will, you want us to do your will, and we're happiest when we do your will. And so, Father, this morning we pray that we'll just have open ears, that this will be a time when we sit at the feet of Jesus and you just teach us about how to find and follow your will. And we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for communicating with us so clearly in so many different ways to show us our direction for our lives, that we come to you and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. God wants each of us to know his will for our lives. And in studying uh, the life of Saul and his encounter with the Lord Jesus, God can teach us some principles about finding and following the will of God. Now, there are a few principles that God would have us to learn. The first principle is this, that God's guidance is promised. God's guidance is promised. Go back and look at verse 6 in Acts chapter 9, and uh, we see these words there. It says that the Lord was speaking to him, and he says, But get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. That's about as clear evidence as anyone could ever want to hear about God telling someone what they wanted them to do. But here's the really good news. What the Lord Jesus promised to Saul, he promises to each of us. He wants to tell us what we are to do. He wants us to know that. He wants us to do that. And how can we be so sure of that? 
Well, because we have the testimony of so many different people in the Bible who tell us that they called out to God for leadership or in some instances God just showed himself to them and told them exactly what he wanted them to do. Now, that would, that would take uh, hours in itself. That would take even maybe even weeks for us to talk about all the people, the different ones who encountered the Lord and heard him tell them exactly what he wanted them to do. I mean, just a few of those examples would be uh, 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 Abraham. The Lord said to Abram in Genesis 12, chapter 1, I want you to go out from your land, and uh, I want to take you to the land that I'm going to show you. And so he said, Abram, you're not going to stay here in Ur of the Chaldees. I've got some other place for you, and I'm going to do something great with your life. But you're going to have to get up, and you're going to have to leave where you are, and you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you. Another example of this would be Genesis chapter 19, verse 12, where God's messengers came to Lot. Remember, Lot was uh, one of the residents of Sodom, and these messengers of God came to Lot and said, Grab your family together. And get out of Dodge, because I'm about to destroy this city. Now, Lot had a choice, but God showed him what his perfect will was, what he wanted him to do. And so Lot took his family, and he got out of Sodom before it was destroyed. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, God told Moses, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And God did so. Now, I want you to uh, find out with me that there are in Scripture numerous people that we could cite. These are just three examples, but we could go on and on. We could talk about how God spoke to Noah, and he said, I want you to build an ark. We could talk about how God communicated with Joshua, told him exactly how the Israelites were to go into the promised land and capture the city of Jericho. We could talk about Hosea. Boy, that'd be a story. And we could hear about how God commanded Hosea that he wanted to take a a wife of promiscuity because, Hosea, your marriage is going to be an example I'm going to teach to the people of Israel, and it's all going to turn out good, but I want you to know that I'm going to work with you this way, and here's what I want you to do. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on with the list of people, but what I want you to understand is that each of these individuals, if they could stand before us, their testimony would be, God spoke to me, He told me exactly what He wanted me to do, and I carried out God's will, I followed His will, and I'm so glad that I did. But not only does He speak to the people in the Bible, but He gives promises in the Scripture that are directly for us. I want you to jot down some of these Scriptures, because many verses in Scripture where God promises to guide us. Jot down these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. That tells us, and look at the verse, God tells us that he's got plans for us, that he has prepared for us, even before those things come about. He's planned them for the, uh, the beginning of time, And so he wants to guide us and give us instruction and counsel. And that's what we find in Psalm chapter 32, verse 8. It says there, I will instruct you and I will show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. God gives instruction and counsel on the way we should go. Psalm 37, verse 23, listen to this promise. A person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. God orders our steps one at a time, 
That's his plan for us. He wants to order our steps and guide us one step at a time. Then there's Isaiah 58 verse 11. It says this, he will always lead you. Man, what a terrific promise that is. And then, of course, most notably, perhaps, uh, uh, one that we talk about more frequently than any other when it comes to the will of God, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what? He will direct your paths. Now, what God says to Saul in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, is a promise that God gives to each of us. That promise is, I will show you what you must do. God's guidance is promised. A second principle is this, God's guidance is provisional. Who does God lead? Well, first of all, we find in Saul's story that God guides those who are humble. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8, these words are written. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. Do, do you get the picture? Here's this proud, arrogant man who just a few minutes earlier, he was calling all the shots. He was the one who was giving all the commands. He was barking the orders. He was telling who would go here and who would do that. But now he has been humbled by the Lord. No less than King David. You know, if you're a king... You've got, you know, you've got the three-car garage, the boat. You've got, you've got everything at your disposal. But I want you to listen to what David said about God's will and following God's direction. David wrote in Psalm 25, verse 9, He, the Lord, leads the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. Who does God lead? Who does God guide? He guides the humble. Now, I don't know anybody that's humble all the time. I can only tell you. I don't know your story. I can only tell you my story. And my story is this. You can either humble yourself before the Lord or He'll do it for you. I've experienced both. I prefer the first rather than the second. But even when God had to humble me, it may have hurt at the time, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It wasn't until I was humbled before the Lord that I looked up to Him and said, okay, I give. I'm not going to go my way anymore. What you want, God, that's what I want. God guides those who are humble, but God also guides those who are yielded. And we didn't read these verses a few moments ago, or not all of them, but I want you to look with me in Acts chapter 9, beginning again at that 8th verse. 
Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand, and they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. Now, uh, reading on, verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. Now, let your eyes run down to the 17th verse. Ananias went, and he entered the house, and he placed on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, he sent me that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did God do? God sent a messenger to Saul to instruct him. And this man named Ananias learned from the Lord that Saul was a chosen vessel that he was going to use to spread the gospel. And uh, here we see Saul. He's a Pharisee who had the equivalent of a Ph.D. And here he is being led to a young man who's going to teach him the way, who's going to be his starting point in his journey with Christ. And what is this learned man doing? He's yielding to the instructions from a little-known disciple of Jesus. I mean, we don't even read about Ananias anywhere else. I think about some of those Sunday school teachers we've had. When we were children or as adults, well, I mean, we've lost contact with them. We haven't talked to them in a long time. We didn't know how important their role was in our lives, but I want to tell you today, that's one of the most important roles you'll ever play is to be an influence that God will use in a child's life where he'll teach those basic things that he wants them to know so that they will know to follow his will, to listen to God's voice and follow him. And now we're all grown up. And what we're finding is that it's not enough for us to know the will of God. It's not even enough for us to hear the will of God. We have to reach a point in our lives where we say, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. God reveals his will to us when we are humble and yielded to his will. There's a third principle I want you to see this morning. And we learn this from Saul's experience with the Lord and finding and following God's will. And that is God's guidance is practical. So God's guidance is promised, God's guidance is provisional, and now God's guidance is practical. How does God guide us? Well, first of all, we're guided by the miracles of God. It says in Acts 9, 3, that as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed about him. God sometimes directs by miracles, in visions, in dreams, or with an audible voice like he did with Saul. Jesus appeared to him. There was a bright light. The bright light 
knocked him to the ground. He fell to his face. Jesus appeared to him. There was this bright light. He heard Jesus speaking to him in an audible voice. Now that's not normal. <laughs> right? And you don't hear a lot of people telling this story. This is probably not your story. It's not my story. The fact of the matter is, we don't want to discount the miracles of God. I think what most of us would say this morning, this has been my experience, is that since we have the New Testament, since the Bible's completed, these kinds of miracles are not greatly needed today because God speaks to us so clearly through His Word. He communicates what He wants us to do through the Bible. And yet I'm reminded of the fact that when my sister-in-law and her husband served as missionaries in Turkey, we would every year receive prayer requests from them from the field saying, be praying specifically tonight. Gather as many Christians together as you can and be praying for the people here in Turkey because tonight in this holy week, they're going to be praying and they're going to be seeking God. And we would get these testimonies that we would hear from these missionaries who were in places where Christianity was forbidden. These Muslims who cried out to God in this, this week of fasting and prayer when they were crying out to God, where they testified that they saw a vision of Jesus Christ who spoke to them and said, follow me. We dare not discount the miracles of God. God still works and speaks to people. But regarding that, and the fact that we have the completed Word of God that we hold in our hands, which I believe is the primary way that God speaks to us, we hear things from the Lord Jesus who testifies about the importance of listening to His words. Now Luke chapter 16 provides us with an example where Jesus tells a story. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and mark your place here. We're going to come back to Acts 9. But go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story that contrasts the destinies of two persons. And in this story, Jesus tells one of these persons died and entered a condition of blessedness. The other person died and entered a condition of misery. And both were presented by Jesus as entering their future condition immediately following their death. And now we pick up the story in Luke chapter 16, verse 22. One day the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here while you're in agony. And besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you can't. And neither can those from there cross over to us. Now listen to what he says. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I've got five brothers. 
And tell him to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. You see, he's failed to receive the Lord Jesus in this life. And so he is separated from God forever. And look at verse uh, 29. But Abraham said, listen to this. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now listen to the words of Jesus. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's foretelling exactly what's about to happen. Jesus is about to be crucified on a cross for the sins of the world. He's going to be laid in a grave. He has been appearing to people. God has been performing works through him to validate that he is the Son of God, that he and the Father are one. He's been speaking the words of God. He's been presenting the gospel. He's been saying... The Messiah has been promised. You've been looking for me in the Scriptures. You've been hearing about it. I'm here. Believe me. He dies on the cross. They lay Him in a tomb. And despite the fact that the stone was rolled away, despite the fact that there was never anybody found in the tomb, despite the fact that hundreds of people testified following the resurrection of Jesus that they saw him, that he spoke with him. He is not dead. He is risen. He's alive. Despite all of that, the majority of the Judeans did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. We may be guided by the miracles of God, but that's not the primary way that God speaks to us, nor the normative way that God speak to us. And so I want us to look at what the Scripture tells us. I think the normative way we are guided by God is through the Word of God. In Acts chapter 9, we go back there and we look and we notice in verse 5, what we find there is we find Saul crying out and he says, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Here we have Christ, the living word, who is speaking God's words to him. I mean, the words of Jesus are the word of God. And Saul was already full of the word of God. We know this because if you just turn back a couple of chapters, we don't have time to do that right now, but if you turn back a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 7, you've got Saul who is present when Stephen, a Christ follower, delivers maybe one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And Saul, it says, is standing right there, and he's hearing this entire message, which is a a God-sent exposition of the Old Testament, speaking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of all those prophecies concerning the Messiah. But it's not just the sermon of Stephen that Paul recalls. Paul, remember, is a Pharisee. 
Pharisees were steeped in the Word of God. They knew the commands of Moses. They knew the prophets. They knew the wisdom literature that God had given to those who had gone before them. How much of the will of God for our lives is found right here in the Bible. It's foolish and it's dangerous for us to pray, God, show me your will if we are not going to look at this book and listen and follow what it says. You see, this book already tells us much about God's will. We don't need to sit around. We don't need to seek God's will concerning something that God's clearly commanded or something that God has clearly forbidden in the Bible. That's His will. You don't have to pray about whether to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's in there. You don't have to pray about loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Remember that question? Everybody's created in the image of God. That's your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to pray about that. The Bible says abstain from sexual immorality. You don't have to pray about whether or not you shouldn't be looking at pornography. That's God's will. Don't do it. Care for the widow. Care for the orphan. You don't need to pray about that. Do it. Do not marry an unbeliever. There's a reason why God expresses His will to us. He knows the right way for us to go. Do not get drunk. The Bible says that. And so here we have all of these things that God tells us in the Bible that are His will for us. That If we think about our situation, there's something in the Scripture that speaks to us that will give us the guidance God wants us to have that's going to turn our life around or is going to put us on the pathway to success and prosperity because we are following exactly what God wants us to do. I want you to notice also that we're guided by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, looking at that verse, it says, Now Ananias went and he entered the house. He placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me... So that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that Saul received the Holy Spirit. What's the significance of that? The significance of that is that Jesus said to his disciples, and the Bible teaches us, that He said, you know, I'm not going to leave you comfortless or alone. I've been with you physically here in my body, but I'm not going to leave you alone. In fact, I'm going to do something for you amazing. I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to be with my Heavenly Father, but I will send the Spirit who will be in you and will be with you. And then in John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into the truth.
God speaks to us through the Spirit of God, and we need to be sensitive to the Spirit. We need to be able to discern the voice of God who speaks to us through the Spirit. And then I want you to notice that God guides us by His wisdom. We're guided by the wisdom of God. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Immediately, Saul began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the Son of God. Notice that Saul preaches in the synagogues that Christ is the Son of God. Now, where did Saul get that wisdom? God gave it to him. (laughs) Knowledge comes by looking around. Wisdom comes by looking up. Saul stopped looking around. He started looking up. You know, James 1.5 says to us that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. If you need wisdom, ask God. It, it's that simple. God's not going to scold you for asking. God will give you the wisdom that you're seeking. We're also guided by the people of God. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but going back to Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, read it again. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he's praying there, now, in a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. We're guided by the people of God. That's why it's important to be connected to a church body. When God was speaking to Saul, he used Ananias to confirm his will for him, to help him get his footing, to find his calling. When God is speaking to us about something, what we find is that He's often going to confirm it to someone else. And that happens in the context of our relationships with other believers in the church. We're guided by the people of God, but we're also guided by the providence of God. In Acts chapter 9, verses 23, 24, and 25, we find there, that after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill Saul, but Saul learned of their plan. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him, but his disciples took him by night, and they lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. See, by the providence of God, There were people who planned to kill Saul, but in God's providence, he let the disciples know in advance what was about to happen. And I want you to know that there's an unseen hand, the providential hand of God, who is moving in our lives.
and moving in this church and moving in the life of the next pastor of this church. The providence of God. Do you know everything in this world is intended to bring glory to God? Everything. Now, God uses people, and God uses processes, but the importance in the providence of God is not in the people he uses or the processes through which he uses. Because he can use a process that's never been used before, right? Am I right about it? Now, thank God we can learn from other people. But if our dependence is on what other people have done and not upon the Lord, who's going to get the glory for that? The person who wrote the playbook or the Lord? Well, God can get the praise because you can say, well, thank God he led somebody else. It's kind of like this sermon. I, I read a lot of books. I studied a lot of other books that were written by other people. They're not my stuff. And I thank God that those people were listening to the Lord. Now, you know that for, uh, gosh, I can't, even, I can't even count it up now, but I think for almost 20 years now, one of the things that I've been doing is I have been spending time with churches just like this one who are without a pastor, who seek the Lord, form a pastor search committee, and they have a process for doing that. And then they invite the church to join with them to begin praying. Let's look for God's man. We want God's leadership. Anybody here remember COVID? <laughs> wow. Didn't see that coming. I was serving as transitional interim pastor at New Hope Baptist Church in Hermitage, Tennessee. Just right on the edge of Mount Juliet, right off of I-40. In fact, in the winter when the leaves are off the trees... You can see the trucks rolling by on I-40 from the church. Now, I went there in 2018 of August. The person who had been the pastor of the church, I knew from years before we'd served together at Lifeway before he became the pastor of their church. He was called to go to another place. I came in, I started loving on the people, and listening to the people, and working with the people. And we formed a group of people who came together, people from around the church who got together, and we did some studies on the community, and we did some studies about the needs of the church and where the church was at that time. We hadn't elected a pastor search committee yet. I preached for a while. I just wanted to get to know the people, get a feel for the church. You know, you don't walk into somebody's house and start rearranging their furniture on the first day, right? You might never do that, but you won't do it on the first day and be invited to come back. 
So I'm getting to know the church. And bam, out of nowhere, COVID hits. We were about to have the business meeting to elect the pastor search committee. Well, the Constitution says you got to have a quorum of the people who assemble to come together in a business meeting to elect the pastor search committee. And I realize we could have done it in absentia. Anybody remember the last election of the United States for president of the United States? Well, I'm thinking this is not what we want to do. We're, we're in uncharted territory. We don't know how we're going to do this. But in my own heart and mind, I went, I thought, I didn't cause COVID. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I wanted. I saw it as the providential hand of God. God wasn't ready for us to form a pastor search committee. We were ready. We thought we were. We'd done everything by the book to be ready. We were on target, you know. It goes like this. You do this, you do this, you do this, you get a pastor. God's up there going, you poor misguided individual. What happens is, we go into COVID, we get back together for a while, then we're apart for a little while again. Remember, we're in Nashville, Tennessee, okay, so... We're also having to do this whole thing of we want to be a good witness to the community. And Nashville at the time had a deal where you could not assemble as a group of people. I was in touch with Andy. I said, Andy, what are you all doing? He was telling me about how you all were meeting out in the parking lot and how those were some of the greatest days. And Man, I was just so excited. I said, man, we need to do that. You know, and so I went into investigating how we could put, you know, communicate. Oh, gosh. I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised I survived to stand here before you. It was grueling. You know, we had to get all hooked up to to do sermons online. Y'all know all about this, right? Well, no, you don't really know, but we did. We had antiquated equipment. We had to upgrade. We had, you know, we had people who were trained. Okay, so we did that. Then we came out of. COVID, we came back together. We were, we were ready to elect our pastor search committee. Came together, called a business meeting, elected the committee. The committee did the best thing any church could ever do. They called the church to come together in prayer. And you know, you try to set up a night and get people to come back. They don't come... I mean, we just had him come down and kneel at the altar right after the service. Led in prayer that way. They began to pray. And then we had a training session. I met with them. I said, here's what a pastor search committee does. And I took them through this, these steps. And they followed these steps steps, got organized, came up with a list of questions they wanted to ask. And one of the members of the committee said, don't you think it would be good if we played these questions off some other pastors and let them 
answer the questions and they can tell us which questions they think are really relevant. (laughs) And maybe some questions that we don't even have on our list that they think we should ask. So they called a couple of pastors in the area that they had relationships with who knew about our church. And they said, would you pray for us? And here's what we want to do. Would you help us out? Well, sure. And they went about getting resumes and contacting, you know, the Baptist Association in Nashville and the state convention in, in Tennessee and state conventions surrounding and the six Southern Baptist seminaries. And they're getting these resumes that are coming in. And I mean, it's... it's It's a bunch of resumes. So they start working on this list and they get a couple of leading candidates. They call one. And this one backs out. That never happens. They call another one. Boy, he's on another state way far away and they wonder, well, we don't know, but... We think we need to take the next step and find out, and him take the next step. And I remember him calling me on the phone. They said, call our current transitional pastor. Feel free to ask him any question about us. We've got nothing. Just we'll tell you everything. Did that? And I talked with the man, and in our conversation... As I was listening to him talk, and I was listening to the kind of church government that he was used to leading, and knowing the church that we were in, where we had totally redone the church constitution, we had done all kinds of things. We weren't just sitting there doing this, okay? We were working really hard during this time transition, but we needed every minute of this time to get ready for the next pastor, And I'm talking to this guy, and and just as plainly as I'm talking to you, in this conversation, he's listening, I'm listening, and we both come to the agreement that this would not be the right place for him. That's just the two of us. And I'm thinking, you know, you're going to spend the first two years of your life just trying to reorient the church to your form of leadership, and who knows if everybody's even going to be on board with that. I've been here two and a half years. This church is good to go. We're ready to get with it. All you got to do is just come in and get after it. I mean, this is T-ball. Set the ball on the tee and let him hit it. I've teed it up for him. Man, you know, a few months go by, and when you're on a pastor search committee, you know how long a month sounds to a person in the church? If you're not on the pastor search committee, a month is like a year. Are you guys any closer to getting us a pastor? Now, there's that constant pressure you have. You're not sitting there twiddling your thumbs. You're working the whole time. You're praying. The church is praying. One day the chairman of the committee receives a phone call. 
Remember those pastors they sent out the list of questions to who lived there in the area? One of them is named Justin Lett, pastor of a little bitty old church called Two Rivers Baptist Church. Massive. Multiple campuses. He's the teaching pastor. He's one of the people they'd called to ask. Would you just pray for us, help us with the questions? Justin said, you know, I really don't know where to begin with this. And he says, you, you may not have any interest in this after I tell you the story, but my wife and I have been praying for you ever since you contacted us, and we've been praying for you. And we live less than 10 minutes from the church. So we drive by this way all the time off this main thoroughfare here. We drive by here all the time going shopping or running errands or whatever we're doing. And we just pulled in the parking lot back around the children's area, and we were sitting there, and we decided, let's just pray for them here. We're right here at the church. And after they prayed for a while, he lifted his head, he looked at his wife, he said, what would you think if I told you God's calling me to be the pastor of this church? And she looked at him and said, I was thinking the same thing. You know what our church and even their church didn't know? Is that Two Rivers Baptist Church was about to close one of their campuses. God sometimes has to make you uneasy before you even open up your heart to say, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Nobody knows about this. Not even the members of Two Rivers Baptist Church know this is going to happen. And it's going to happen because the rent on the place that they were renting was going straight through the roof and they had no control of it. They were going to have to close that campus down because it was going to bankrupt them if they stayed in it even as big and as resourceful as they were. And that kind of triggered him to start praying, softening his heart. The providence of God. Even we don't see, we don't know, we don't have all the information... A man who had lived in that community already knew the community. Already owned a house. No moving expenses. Only God. Only God. Now you think God just does that for New Hope Baptist Church? No. He won't do it exactly that way, but He wants to give you a story. Do you want that story? Do you want that story? Do you want that story? Then are you ready to pray for it? Are you just wondering, what's the, what's the pastor search committee doing? Why are they dragging their feet? Man, I got to tell you, you do not realize how little this has to do with the pastor search committee. 
Neither do you realize how much it has to do with the pastor search committee. We're going to be singing the doxology in this church. Because we're going to get a story about how God guides and leads His people. And guess what? It's not just going to be our story. It's going to be the pastor's story. He may not even know, like, like Justin Lett, had no idea when they first contacted him that Two Rivers Baptist Church was going to be closing down one of their campuses. He had no interest in going to New Hope Baptist Church. They didn't have his resume. He wasn't a candidate. Are you with me? You following me? Now, if that happens in a church, how many of us would testify to events in our own lives where the providence of God has been at work? I mean, something squirrely happens. We didn't want it to happen. We didn't do anything maybe that we think that we caused to happen. But it happened. And you know what happened? It made us uneasy. We cried out, God, help me, show me where you want me to go. If it hadn't happened, you see, it wasn't anything you caused or you wanted to happen. But if it hadn't happened, God couldn't have moved you to the place where he wanted you. I'm telling you, church, God wants to get the glory in your story. Now this morning, as we reach this point in the service, I can sum up these six principles that I've shared with you this morning in one word. And it's going to sound simplistic, But the one word is Jesus. Just Jesus. See, the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of the body. I have hands, I have feet. My hands and my feet do not have a mind of their own. You know what my hands and feet do? They do what my head tells them to do. If you and I will just fall in love with Jesus, we can come to Him and we can say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And He'll show us. Now, he may lose a lot of different ways to show us. But the will of God for your life and mine is Jesus. And the way to find and follow the will of God for the rest of your life is to do the will of God right now. Right now. God wants you to start right where you are and obey what you already know. And we can all do that. And there's 
somebody here today. You don't know a lot, but one thing you know is you need Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. And I know there's somebody here today, because there always is. It's a large church. We get a lot of people who come here. There's somebody here today who needs a church home, a church family, a church body. You're part of it. And today's the day for you to make that decision. This is the place where God's leading us. We know it. God's showing us. So today I want to invite you to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you know Christ, I want to invite you to come and be a part of this church because God's doing mighty and awesome things. (laughs) And really it's just going to get more and more exciting as we go. There may be other ways that God is speaking to you today, but as we come to the Lord now in prayer, don't leave this place today without speaking to one of our pastors about your need to follow Jesus or your desire to become a part of this church. Andy, I'm just going to ask you, while we're singing here in a little bit, after we finish singing, if you would just hang here at the front. Stand up, Andy. I know they know you. He's the guy who gives the announcements. and (laughs) He's going to be standing here at the front, and if you have a decision to make, he'd love to talk with you, pray with you, and uh, y'all can probably set up an appointment to meet and discuss things further. So he won't keep you all afternoon. He just wants to meet you and and y'all can exchange information. Let's stand together in prayer, may we? Lord, it would not be untrue for us to say that you are Lord, you are God, and we are not. So we humble ourselves before you and we yield to your will and we say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do it without fear because I know you love me and I know you want what's best for me. And Father, for those that are listening online for hearing this message, God, you have the ability to speak to hearts wherever we are. You don't have to be inside a church sanctuary and be driving down the road or in our home on a ball field. But thank you, Father, that you do speak to us, that you know our names, and you speak to us personally and individually. So, Lord, I pray for us to respond to you in a way that will glorify you, that we will recognize that we really do know you because we're listening to your voice and we want to follow you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.